This is episode 119 of AA Beyond Belief. In this episode, Angela and I talk about the first step in the recovery process, which for many of us is whatever happened that caused us to escape the grip of denial, admit that we had a problem with alcohol, and seek help. Angela and I go into more detail about the step and the principles behind it, and we cover a few other topics along the way. So we're here to talk about step one. This is the, our first step of the series. Um, you ready for this? Uh, ready as I'll ever be, I guess. Well, where do we begin? Um, well, you could say what step one is. I actually was looking up some of uh, the versions of the steps. And of course, the first version written in 1939 by Bill Wilson mm-hmm. that we know in AA is uh, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Yeah. There are some other versions that I've learned about over just the last couple of years, a lot of them from the podcast. But one that I find interesting is um, Serge Pringle's um, The Proactive 12 Steps. And his his is real different. It's there is a big split between who I want to be and what I do. I am stuck in what I do. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. And then, cool. of course, uh, Arliss G and Martha Cleveland from The Alternative 12 Steps. Mm-hmm. I did read this this week, and I really enjoyed reading it, but admit we are powerless over other people, random events, and our own persistent negative behavior, and that when we forget this, our lives become unmanageable. Yes. Yeah. And that's what that's the one that you were first working when you were introduced to the steps, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the one that I, I work with uh, with other people now, too. And, and I find that they really, really relate to that one. One of the, the people that I'm working with right now is... Um, is a woman uh, who's a, a little bit older than I am, and she's been in the program for longer. But she just uh, she moved to our area um, a few years ago and uh, had moved away from meetings because she, you know, just didn't relate anymore to a lot of the God language and stuff. And so then she she found ours and, and started coming to it and asked me if I would take her through the steps. The secular way. And so it's kind of cool going through the steps with her of somebody who's been in program for a long time and has worked through the steps before and has sponsored people and um, getting her perspective on, you know, this take on it. And this is the main book that we're using. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. With the alternative 12 steps, they say that the principles are insight and honesty. Uh, Were you aware of that when you first started working the steps was was that told to you or how how did you first go through it <laughs> well the way i see it now the way that i actually worked the step was twofold one was not actually working it but just from my life experience of reaching that point in life where i realized i had a problem with alcohol and i needed help now when i reached out and got a sponsor, the way that we actually worked the step, of course, was reading the 12 and 12 and the big book. That's just what that's, that group did. So I would meet with my sponsor and I would, you know, highlight the book and learn different things. And, you know, what they stressed in the big book um, is um, powerlessness over alcohol, because it's an allergy, of course. (laughs) And and, um, so, uh, yeah, uh, powerlessness over alcohol, you know, and so we read um, the doctor's opinion, we read more about alcoholism, I believe, were the the two main chapters about step one. And then, of course, um, the 12 by 12. But, you know, 
I, I guess what we did as we read that, we also had conversations around the material, kind of relating our own personal experiences to the step. And looking back on that experience um, as a new person in AA going through that, I realized that what I, how I was really working the step was by sharing my story with other people. And then by doing that, learning um, and further escaping the denial that I was in during my active addiction. So it's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. No, I, I like it because I think it's, you know, it's probably familiar for a lot of people is, you know, I know that when I was first listening to people talking about the steps and, and how they did it, that that, yeah, I didn't get the whole principles type thing. Um, I didn't know that there were specific principles. You know, it's like we, we say in meetings, we practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, which ones, you know, are those? Um, when I was new, I, I couldn't hear any of that. And I also, I hadn't developed my AA to secular language translator yet. Um, that took a little while. But yeah, the way that we do it, or the way that, that I do it with people now, is uh, we do writing. And uh, and so I know that, <laughs> that some people don't like the little homework assignments that, that sponsors give out, but that's, you know, that's the way we do it. And we're basically getting, I think, at the same same thing that, that you did, which is to to understand better, um, you know, our story and, and the story we make up about our story. Um, so I usually assign something like write a paragraph each on four topics. And the four topics are like, uh, what's the first time you remember tasting alcohol? What's the first time you remember getting drunk? Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not. Um, the first time you thought you had a problem with alcohol and um, the experience that brought you to AA. Yeah. And then we, we, you know, I have them read through step one in the alternative book and then uh, kind of either write down or underline or whatever they want to do. Um, the statements that either, you know, mean something to them or that they disagree with or anything that they read through that, uh, that they want to talk about it at the next time that we get together. And so, yeah, so the, the goal of, of that is, you know, basically to have some reflection, <laughs> you know, and, and think about, you know, um, you know, am I, am I powerless over, over alcohol or whatever it is that, that I'm doing that's uh, making my life difficult, you know? And so that's what I ask when we get together next is I, I either ask or I listen to, you know, um, what they wrote and see if, you know, do they seem to be in a place where where they they get that? You know, are they in a place where they think their lives are unmanageable? You know, kind of like have they? I think in in Joe's uh, Joe's Beyond Belief uh, Musings book, um, there's a page where he's talking about um, whether it's a ceasefire or a surrender, and that you you know if you surrender, that it's not conditional. And so if you haven't surrendered, then it's merely a ceasefire. And I, I kind of liked that language. But yeah, um, do you think that your life's unmanageable? And how long have you been able to stay sober currently? Um, I think that that's an important thing to, to think about um, when we're working together to help with positivity partly, but, you know, and also what do you think's contributing to that? What do you think helped you get to wherever it is today that we're talking that you've been able to stay sober? And, um, and so that's kind of, you know, leads us into step two of recognizing resources outside ourselves. But yeah, that's how I, I generally start with people is, is looking at those things to, to get them thinking about, you know, their history 
um, with alcohol or substances, you know, and, and where that started. And, and um, I used to do this with just the fourth step because things would often come up um, for the women that I worked with on the fourth step regarding um, abuse issues and um, things that were repressed that they wouldn't even know about until they started writing, you know, and in the writing process, stuff, you know, starts to come up. And, you know, I, I know that's happened for me in journaling that I'm writing something and then all of a sudden like, oh, I forgot that time when, you know, such and such happened. And, um, and uh, but it's, it's happened. And um, with the first step, um, because of the, the writing um, assignment and, and activity that, uh, that I've had a sponsee that um, had a repressed memory of when she was a teenager of being sexually assaulted. And so, yeah, and so that was really disturbing for her because, you know, she's in the process of getting sober and then this comes up. And so it's like, well, do I really want to, you know, be doing this when um, these painful memories just suddenly appear? And so I, I always um, suggest that... Uh, the people I work with, particularly when something like this comes up, um, seek uh, counseling or outside resources. And, you know, depending on the person, you know, if they're in college or something, we we talk about the, the resources that are available here in town from, you know, the university or any other resources if they, um, if they don't have the funds to be able to seek that out. But I think it's really important that people know that, you know, those are places that you can go and that you should go when you're in recovery, that we seek outside help that, you know, AA isn't a cure-all for everything. You know, these tools that we start to develop are helpful for a lot of areas of our life, you know, and uh, as a program of living, (laughs) you know, it it is good stuff. But, um, you know, sponsors um, are not counselors, we're not trained professionals. And, um, and what I'm doing is just, you know, taking somebody through, you know, with my understanding and what I've learned. But, you know, it's not, it's not a profession and um and that uh yeah and that goes beyond beyond my pay grade so i'm i'm always happy to to talk with them and share my experience with that because it is part of my story too uh, so that they don't feel alone um in where what they're feeling you know i used to used to watch this program with my with my wife she loved she loved it for what i don't know why it was um intervention did you ever see that i heard about it but uh no i didn't watch it yeah well it was kind of interesting because they would they they basically had these interventions with people that had addiction problems, and they did all kinds of drugs, alcohol, anything. Well, one thing that I noticed a recurring theme, especially with the women that they featured was um, a history of abuse of sexual abuse in their in their past. I I, I wonder if that if that is more common than than not um, uh, with women and in in recovery. Yeah, um, I, you know, I don't have the numbers to, to say, but it's been my experience that the majority of women that I've spoken with and and talked to that it is part of their story and a a fair number of uh, men too, you know, and particularly the, the younger men that I I know of seem to be more, more willing to, to talk about that a little bit, you know, either privately or to each other. um, Because I've had some that, that have heard my story um, and heard me talk about it. And so come up to me afterwards and, and say, Hey, that's part of my story too, but I've never talked to anybody about it, you know? Wow, that could be really traumatic. You know, I can I can't even imagine dealing with that at the 
same time that you're coming to terms with your addiction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can turn turn people away. You know, I, I do know of, of one girl that um, that I was sponsoring um, and uh, she had a friend that they were, you know, meeting buddies when they were early on. And um, the friend had a, a different sponsor and um, had gone, was working on the fourth step and did have, I think I've mentioned before that awful experience of her sponsor, you know, um, suggesting that, you know, what she was wearing was the reason that this, you know, awful thing happened to her. And so, you know, by the time that that happened, and I heard about it, it, you know, it was too late, the girl was already out and and drinking again, because, you know, why, why not? Now she's had it confirmed to her by somebody who's sober that, you know, that she was, she had a fault in this. And so, yeah, so I, I talk about it and talk about that experience so that people are, are aware. And, and, uh, you know, and I don't know that it was her sponsor, that her sponsor had ill intent at all. I'm, I'm sure that she, you know, thought that she was taking the girl through the, the steps and helping her. But, you know, people need to be aware that, that that's not okay. And, and sometimes I, I think I assume that in the society we live in, that, that that would be, you know, known now not to say something like that. But uh, yeah, it not all always is. And so, you know, it's up to me and anybody else who's aware of it to, to bring that to light. Um, so, you know, um, speaking all, uh, about about women in, in recovery and dealing with a step, um, I've, I've, this is totally anecdotal, but, um, you know, most of my recovery, I went to a men's group for 25 years. So I didn't really know a lot of women in recovery and it wasn't really until I started the We Agnostics group that, that I was in meetings with women. And, um, of course this is an agnostic group, so it's a little bit different than others, but there's been more than a few women who told me that they had a problem with the word powerless. Yeah. And do you think that's a fairly common theme? Um, I do. Um, yeah, definitely. Because I Oftentimes, you know, we either grow up or we've experienced where we've been in the down power position and had to fight um, to get either respect or recognition or um, to survive for a variety of reasons. So, yeah, so the word powerless is is definitely um, uh, difficult. Um, and so talking about it and, and, you know, as many ways as possible is definitely, you know, helpful, I think. I just find that really interesting. I because I, I look at the I, I I talk to these people and I and I like having that experience of being able to meet meet someone that, with a different perspective and and I flash back because I see myself in my twenties and I saw. I saw that that first step, and I thought it was a perfect description of my life. But of course, you know, I'm I'm a guy, and 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 I guess that was okay for me. But it, it's what how different it would have been for me if I would have looked at that, and those words would have would have turned me off. Right? Yeah. Well, and it, it's it's true because we've we've been, or at least I know I've been powerless uh, so many times, made powerless. You know, um. So it's not it's not an 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 ego type of a thing. It's that I've I've been physically and emotionally and whatever else way made powerless in my life. And so, um, and so, yeah, so uh, going to an AA meeting where it says you're powerless over something. Yeah, it's it's not super helpful. (laughs) So, so yeah. And I think with I think with the original um, AA people, and I'll let historians correct me, but I think that they were looking at powerlessness in the sense that I have no power, so I need a higher power, that being God, I think, as to a large extent. And the whole surrender process was kind of like a conversion process. But I saw it 
um, from the very beginning, actually, for me, as just being powerless over alcohol, and that once I begin drinking, I lose right. control. Yeah, and and I think that you know most of us come to to that conclusion for what powerlessness is. Um, but still, talking about it um, at at meetings is well. I think it's difficult. We usually don't talk about powerlessness or use that that word. We often um, well, like um, I like uh, Alan. Berger's um, version of it um, from I'm looking at the little book, a collection of alternative 12 steps, the Roger C one, um, but that, you know, how he um, talks about that it, it helps us shatter our reliance on the false self, which was fed through a lack of self-awareness, poor self-worth, lack of language, plus denial, physical, mental, and spiritual compulsion. You know, that I, I could understand a lot easier than powerlessness, you know, and it, it took it away because, and it brought it back to, you know, me and what I could do. Um, sometimes with the word powerless, um, then it, it makes it like something outside of myself is again, you know, in control. And so, you know, um, I wasn't coming to AA so that, you know, something outside of me could change my drinking. <laughs> you know, I was hoping. <laughs> yes, that is exactly the objection yeah. I hear. It's that I, they, people, they say, I am, I want to have control over my recovery. I am the person responsible for it. And, and I think that that whole idea of admitting powerlessness is that I, nothing I can do. I need you to. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, and also when people, you know, do the um, I'm powerless over people, places and things stuff that always, uh, you know, that too, because I I feel like, you know, the tools that I've learned here has has helped me to, you know, have my own agency to to get a sense of appropriate power and and how to use it. But when I hear that, it reminds me of, uh, I think I was working with my sponsor, and she was asking about my amends. And I had, you know, significant financial amends. And um, one of them, which, you know, I still have, <laughs> is uh, school loans. Um, and so when she asked me about it, I, I was like, oh, I'm powerless, uh, powerless over people, places and things. School loans is a thing. I'm I nothing I can do about it. <laughs> it didn't go over well, you know, yeah. but uh, I, I thought it was hilarious and, uh, and a fun way to, to, you know, tease about that kind of saying in AA, I'm powerless over people, places, it is funny. I know. I wonder whoever came up with that. It's like one person said it and right. everyone They're thought like, it was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> they kept repeating yeah. it. I mean, I, I know what they're getting at it is that, you know, I need to, I only have control of my reactions and, and my, my emotions and things like that. But it's just, you know, uh, yeah, it's trite sounding when you just toss it out there. Well, I like the way that you approach it, Angela. Um, you mentioned the word reflection, and that's what I was thinking about when it comes to this. To this is reflecting on my drinking, which was almost a natural thing for me when I first came to the to the point where I realized I had a problem. I immediately started thinking back. I started thinking back to when my drinking started, the first time I got drunk, the problems, the people who tried to talk to me about it. And who I would not, I wouldn't even accept hearing anything about it. And what really shocked me at the time was the depth of my denial that based upon the the facts, it should have been completely obvious to me that I needed to stop drinking, but I, I, I hid the facts. And so, you know, it was through actually just being arrested 
too many times and losing my job that kind of woke me up to 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 come out of that denial but it was a real difficult period so you know when when you're doing what you're what you're suggesting that you do by writing those things out um, and I've seen that in other books too like the secular 12-step book um, Bill W he writes about taking like a, a first step inventory where he does something similar to that where he just um, recommends that people write stuff out and there is a lot of power in writing, I think, because I used to also do a journal, and you really do see things writing mm-hmm. that you might not. Yeah, otherwise. and I think for uh, specifically for the first step, when people are new and and coming in, that it's uh, you know there's so much confusion and stress. Um, sometimes they're here, you know, at the urgency of the state or local government, like you mentioned, and so um, and so really thinking about you know beyond their immediate um, immediate circumstances about their drinking um, is can be difficult. And so by, by breaking it down into a couple of, you know, small writing assignments, like, you know, you don't have to write your entire life, just, you know, a paragraph each that gives them the, you know, the permission or, or, you know, the ability to sit down and, and think about it. And then when we write it, you know, handwriting things, you know, we, we have to slow our brains down quite a bit to be able to do that. And, and when you slow your brain down, then that allows for, you know, the, the different part of your brain, the, the, you know, higher part or, or, you know, fast or slower part, I mean, um, to be able to really reflect on, on what your experience is. And that's, that's why, you know, repressed memories and things can come up because you're slowing things down um, to, to really use the ability, um, the different part of your brain to write things. So uh, yeah, that's been something um, in our community that, uh, that people kind of, you know, talk about the minutia of does your sponsor make you write things out or can you use a computer or, you know, and, uh, and uh, yeah, and some people are like, wow, you know, you have to actually write things out by hand. That's, that's controlling. And it's like, well, you know, it's, it's actually more about how the brain works and processing of information and uh, stuff. So isn't that weird? I, uh, that I find there's a difference in typing on a word processor and writing also. And and I hardly ever actually write anymore. You know, I, I always type on my on my computer. But and I and actually the second time that I did my fourth step, that was actually a discussion I had with my sponsor. Do I write it by pen? Do I? And I and I elected to do that one on the computer. Yeah, it was a different experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, because different. you know our brains so fast and and. Uh automated. We automate so many activities. So yeah, by, you know, doing it by computer, sure, you can get more written. (laughs) But um, the insight, I don't think is usually there of, you know, why, uh, you know, and when you're writing things by hand, it, it, you know, it's a different system in your brain, you have to go through a different process and you use more channels to be able to do it. So yeah, so it's an important part of, of when well, and also when I'm doing my own stuff, if I'm super upset about something, and um, either unable to get a hold of my sponsor, or it's just, you know, not the right thing to do at the time, I do, you know, go through and and do kind of a a fourth step process of writing the thing out so that I I know and usually by the time that I've I've written uh, for a little while, I'm at a different spot. So not only am I usually calmer, because I've removed myself from the situation and went to write something, but I've just slowed my brain down enough that I'm like, Oh, okay, I see, I'm not actually mad at this person because of what they said or they did. It just reminded me of another thing that I'm upset about. And so, you know, I'm able to process it a lot easier when I write things out by hand. 
Um, I just usually not wanting to do it because oftentimes I'm wanting to feel, you know, the righteous indignation because it it feels good. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, and so writing things down, I I know, you know, takes some time. And, um, and I usually try to convince myself, or I'm good at convincing myself that I, I actually see things how they are, and that this person is being a jerk, and, you know, I need to stand up to them or whatever else it is. You know, I'm just in that spot that no, I don't need to write this down. But if it um, it's bothering me enough, or if it's uh, really a relationship that I value, um, then I'll I'll go and do it because it's uh, worked for me enough that I know I I know I'll I'll get uh, some results. Sometimes it's having to make a decision that I I don't want to make or having to set up a boundary, but um, but it, it works for me. Well, that's interesting. The whole idea of slowing the brain down, and it makes sense to me when I think about it, because um, I used to do a lot of writing. I mean, really, I was a writer my entire life. By the time I was a little kid, I guess it was because my brain was so scrambled that the only way I could make sense of what was going on was to write it out. And like, if I was angry at my parents, I would write it out. If I was confused about a situation at school, if I was depressed, I'd always write. And I so looking back, those were always times in my life where I did slow my brain down. And I did stop and think and it was kind of a calming experience for me. I don't know, Honestly, and maybe I'm not remembering right, but I don't really remember being angry writing by hand, although I have an anger (laughs) typed out of email that I blasted out to somebody. You know? I don't know if there's a difference there or not. But you know. Yes, I think many of us have written an angry email. And, uh, <laughs> and maybe that's the whole thing because yeah. your brain is going so fast when you're type, 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 type. Oh, I'm so pissed off. Yes. I'm going to bang. I'm going to email this guy. If you have to write him, if you have to, have to actually write the guy a memo, you're probably yeah. not going to. Well, it's funny because I think, you know, that, that's so common to, to everyone, you know, whether they're in recovery or not. I'm one of my, my uh, sponsors thing for a while she was going to this um ecstatic dance type of a thing um she's she was recovering from breast cancer and so she was trying all of these different somatic movements and different things to you know help her with that and so she invited me to go and and that's not really my kind of thing you know dancing you know with a bunch of people to you know um kind of uh yeah, <laughs> it's just not my thing. Anyway, but I was willing to go, you know, to be supportive and, and you know, and I'm usually willing to try, sure. out, you know, new ideas and things because, you know, um, what's the worst that could happen uh-huh. is I don't like it and I don't go back. Um, so I went to this thing and um, and somebody was there, you know, and asked for my email at, to sign in. And, and at this time, I was still, I think, fairly early in, in recovery, um, maybe, well, not early, probably about four or five years. Um, but I, I was still at that time having a hard time saying no to, to anybody for, for things. So if you ask for my email address, I'd put my little name down. Anyway, so I, I get on this email um, list for this group for a static dance and uh, and then I, I don't go to it anymore. But the the leader of it, who is somebody who was uh, very active in the meditation community and in the peace community and stuff like that, um, I get this email from her um, that's just scathing and you know yelling at me for oh. selling her a horrible house and not being <laughs> honest about the problems with the house and all the different stuff that's gone wrong with the house. And oh, oh no. and I'm a horrible person. And I guess the realtor. Um, had the the same uh, the same first initial and um, my last name has ten letters in it and so I think the the same last six letters and so they yeah they had just.
just, you know, on their <laughs> email, clicked what looked mostly right and sent it to me. And so, yeah, so I had to laugh because I, I'm sure that I've done something similar. You know, I, I know I've sent angry emails that I regretted. Uh, I'm not sure I sent any to the wrong person. Usually I sent it to the right person and still regretted it. Um, so, yeah, so I, I had to, you know, had to, you know, take a, a step back. I, I think I walked around the house for a minute and shared it with my partner and, and laughed and, and came back and said, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel that way. It sounds like a very difficult situation for you. And uh, I, I, I definitely would talk to the person, but I, I'm not that person. I've never been a realtor. And, you know, and they were so apologetic. Oh, and so embarrassed, you know. And so, yeah, they, they wrote back and, yeah. and yeah, you know, outlined how they were going to handle it differently, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, done done that. So writing things out by hand can save you in a lot of ways. It can save you that embarrassment because it takes a lot longer to one write things out, but then you'd have to you know post it somehow. And um, anyway, uh, it looks like we're kind of coming to a um, I guess a consensus that um, okay, so uh, this is I maybe I shouldn't assume this, but okay, like for myself, I'm thinking, okay, step one for me is a couple to a couple different things. It's the experience that I have. And it's reflecting on the experience to learn about the experience. And one way of doing that is through writing. And it's a process of getting honest and overcoming that denial. Um, but I can also after I kind of step back and look at that whole experience as it relates to alcohol, I can also relate that to other yeah, things that come up yeah, in my definitely. life, other problems. Um, one of the things that I was reading before this was um, was in Joe's, Joe C's book. Um, I think it was uh, September 20th um, reflection. And um, one of the things he says that is um, in step one, we stop blaming others and stop making excuses for ourselves. Admitting our unmanageability may be taking the most personal responsibility we have accepted in a long time. And uh, yeah, I, I think that there was some of that to to my first step, because I had a, a lot of anger at, at society, you know, for for getting me there, you know, and, and all of the different things that that it caused, um, caused me to, to seek out because I know that when I, I came, I, I already had the insight that that alcohol itself wasn't exactly my problem, um, that uh, that I had other things going and that alcohol was just my most recent solution uh, to my problem that, you know, I had tried food before um, for a long time and that worked. And then I took that away from myself. And so alcohol then became um, my next solution. Um, so yeah, so so I had a lot of things in, in life that I, I blamed um, for you know, why I was here, you know, my childhood and all that stuff. And and I did need to work through that. Those were all very real things. It's not like I was falsely blaming somebody for my drinking. It's it's just that I wasn't taking the responsibility, which is a little bit a little bit different for it. And another another thing I was reading um in his book that that really struck me was um I think it was February sixteenth. Um he he talks about uh the therapist and author M. Scott Peck, who did the, the Road Less Traveled, and that he said that if stopping doesn't feel strange, we don't understand the depth of pain involved. 
um, in its major forms, giving up is the most painful of human experiences. And I thought about that too. And, you know, it had been about a year of really suffering with my alcoholism and going through some pretty, pretty terrible, additional terrible things to get to the point of trying AA again. And, and, you know, when I, when I did get into AA, I, it was because of being suicidal and, and calling the suicide hotline, you know, and so, so that really spoke to me and it's, you know, speaking to me now too, because there are other things in life that, you know, continue to come up. You know, I think that's one of the things with step one is that you have to, you know, it's not like a, a zero sum, you know, you're like, Oh, yep, I surrendered. And, you know, now everything is going to be good. It's like, you have to keep doing it through with different things throughout your life. And, um, and it's still very hard for me to do in, in various circumstances, you know, whether it's relationship or, or friendship or a job, you know, I, I had several jobs in my, my life that I, um, that I probably stayed longer than I should have, or, you know, uh, just kept trying and, and uh, was not willing to surrender that, that it wasn't working. And so, yeah, so that kind of, of spoke to me of that, you know, it, it really is painful <laughs> to, to admit, you know, um, that, that you can't do something on your own, you know? And so then you, you come to AA and people are like, Oh, you can do it, you know, with God. And that was not something that, that I, um, I wanted to hear or that I accepted. Um, so, um, yeah. You know, I was like that with almost everything in my life. I would not admit that I had a problem. And that seems so insane to me now, but I wouldn't, I would never, I guess I wasn't even, I wasn't even um, interested in, in looking within myself to, to understand, you know, what kind of problems I even had, but I was reluctant to ask for help for anything. And um, one thing though, I grew, I grew up with a mother who was um, mentally ill and I, I, one of my greatest fears was being like her. So I, I think I avoided that by uh, denying that I had these problems and not ever acknowledging it or seeking help for it. But I did drink, and I think I drank um, to a large extent to escape those feelings. Yeah. But what what do you think? You also mentioned, I think, in Joe's reading, and it's also in the original step, the whole idea of man- unmanageability. And is that even problematic language? Well, I, I think that it, it could be and and that, um, you know, there's lots of management classes and tools that can help you and they generally don't when you're alcoholic, um, you know, so um, but on, on the other hand, I think it's easier for a lot of us to see that things are unmanageable in that most of us, uh, you know, don't come to an AA meeting because things are going great. It's a personal thing. And I, I think there's, you know, levels to it, because particularly at, at our meeting, we have a lot of people who are, are well educated, you know, who have advanced degrees, um, you know, and, and, oh, I'd say it's about half and half who've had trouble with the law <laughs> because of it, you know, because of their drinking. Um, but yeah, you know, from the outside, a lot of them would, their lives would not look like they're unmanageable because they often still, you know, have houses and um, some of them still have relationships and some of them have never been fired from a job. And so, you know, um, when you talk about unmanageability, I think that can sometimes be, you know, a a way that that some people can rationalize to themselves that maybe they don't, don't have that serious of a problem because, you know, they haven't lost all of these things yet. For me, it was very obvious that my life was, was unmanageable. (laughs) <laughs> That's how I saw it too, actually, because uh, I, I came 
through problems. So my life was a mess. So that's how I kind of saw that when I when I looked at that step was I yeah my life's a mess. I can't it's a, it's out of control. Um, you know, but I did have that feeling. But you're right, there are some people, and I've met many people like this who have had successful careers and and happy marriages and everything seems to be wonderful, and yet they're alcoholic. So that the unmanageability might be more difficult for them to see. But back in my old traditional group, though, I think that they they use that as a way of saying that they themselves can't manage their lives. They have to have a higher power to manage it for them. Um, and so I, I don't have that view now. I, I just have the view that, um, yeah, my, my life, I had problems in my life, you know, big time problems, and I can, and I still do. And it's, I guess, the way that I kind of learned from my whole experience in recovery is that when I do have a problem today, that the first thing I need to do to get out of it is to admit that I have the problem, get honest about it, and uh, you know, and come to terms with that. And I've had to do that uh, with my career here. In not that many years ago, I was in a pretty bad place with my career and had to really get honest with myself about. Yeah, and I like in the secular book um, towards the end of the the first step reading, they talk about um, that our uh, potential to heal is tied to our understanding of the following. Uh, one, what is within our power? Two, what is beyond our power? And three, where can we join with wider powers? And I really like that as far as thinking about manageability, because that's usually where I'm stuck um, when I'm when I'm dealing with something is either I want to control it, you know, and, it, and again, that I think that that comes, you know, where we were talking before about that being a common theme in, in both of our lives, you know, I, I learned how to control things or that I had to control certain things in order to survive my childhood. And so I learned how to manipulate adults and um, how to either make myself small or invisible or, you know, how to navigate things. And so control, you know, I didn't really think I I had an issue with over control when I came in. Obviously, you know, I I couldn't stop drinking. So there was a problem there. But again, um, the idea of control or power, um, you know, there was a problem. There and so when I I think about the first step and the insight and the honesty is is usually you know what what is within my power you know what is going on right now that I don't find acceptable and why is it that it's not acceptable um, to me what's what's happening there that that I think it should be different and um, and then you know do I have the ability to make it different um, should I make it different or is it that I just need to change my thinking about the issue and. And, uh, and I think that that all falls within step one for me. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, too, that if anybody is actually sitting down and even thinking about this idea of, are, do they have a problem? Well, right. th- that's already their first step right there, that, that they're even take, taking that, because um, otherwise they wouldn't. I mean, I, I drank for years without ever even stopping to think that, I'm, I mean, maybe if I thought about it just very briefly and dismissed the idea. But yeah, once you get to that point where... Right. Yeah, well, and the problem may not actually be like alcoholism or, you know, uh, or, you know, a a disorder, um, whatever, you know, the different terms are, you know, oftentimes, I I think there's, if you're thinking about it, then there's definitely a problem. But, um, but if you're, you're not sure if you should go to AA or or something along those lines, I I think, you know, definitely seeking out um, a counselor um, would be helpful in that I had a person that I sponsored for a while, who's a good friend of mine now. And so this was probably like 10 years ago that she came in. 
and I, I worked with her for a little bit and, um, and she drank again. Um, and then, um, she, her life kept getting, getting bad. Um, even when she wasn't drinking, um, but oftentimes it would start to go with it. Um, but what she found when she got treatment and got a, a really, um, a really good therapist and doctor and stuff is that she, she was actually, um, in her twenties and, and suffering from, um, rapid cycle bipolar and had never been diagnosed before. And, um, and so once she started to get the proper therapy for that and the medications that that helped her with that she she didn't drink um unless you know she was in uh you know those phases um and one of the phases that you know alcohol went with it but otherwise um she didn't have a problem with alcohol she could have one one with you know uh dinner with her husband and she has for you know um probably um i think about eight years now um and so yeah so i wouldn't say that that she's an alcoholic but, but when she came in, you know, she was calling herself an alcoholic because that's what we do. And she believed herself to be one. And I didn't know any different. If she thought she had a problem with alcohol, I was willing to help her. But, um, you know, as it turns out, and with hindsight, um, no, she she isn't an alcoholic. She's She had, you know, another mental health issue. And when it got the proper treatment that it needed, um, yeah, she's, she's doing well. It makes total sense. You know what? It makes complete sense to me. And I don't know why I never even thought that way because you know i um my my um i was the the brainwashing i received <laughs> was was that um um yeah that you know if you show up at an AA meeting you're an alcoholic but you know what it, it also says right. that you know the drinking is a symptom of an underlying problem and you know what sometimes that underlying problem is not right it has nothing to do with your physical addiction to the alcohol yeah. perhaps it might just it could, be a, a serious mental illness right and they, yeah and so we don't really talk about that in meetings usually uh, you know if somebody says that they're they might have a problem or they're they're there they're like well if you're here you probably probably do and it's like well you know the, yeah these days well particularly these days people are you know with the internet and all the stuff people are seeking outside help they're like okay i may have a problem what's the free way for me to to try to to check and so often aa is a first step of uh checking things out and and sometimes you know they don't you know and um and you know i think you you're posting a thing with Wally, one of the things Wally often says is that, you know, even if you don't have a problem with alcohol, AA is, you know, an, an okay place to be until you figure it out, you know? So, yeah. You know, a, a misnomer is that you have to be an alcoholic to be an AA member. You know what? You really don't. All you have to do is have a desire to stop drinking. My sponsee, who is a Latter-day Saint, um, she has a daughter who um, who's about to turn 20. But um, when she was 18, she went to one of those um, uh, EPOT events. Um, and uh, they were doing the giving out coins and uh, and it came to 18. And she's like, I'm going up to get a coin. And her mom's like, what? And she's like, I haven't had a drink in 18 years and I'm going <laughs> to go get a coin. And, you know, and so she went up there and, and she'd been pretty much raised <laughs> going to meetings. And so even though she's never had a drink uh, because of her religious belief and, and stuff, you know, she actually... When she gets upset, she calls one of her mom's friends to do a fifth step, and uh, and she'll 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 go to a meeting because she's you know under the belief that uh, that she's you know likely alcoholic. She just hasn't had a drink, and so so yeah, so a little bit different spin on it, but um, but yeah, she she uses the tools of of AA, and it it seems to work out pretty well for her. It makes me laugh though. It, I love it when a little 
light bulb goes off in my head. You just you've probably set me on a whole different path here now when I'm when I'm thinking about you know people showing up at our meetings and um, I, I also think about a conversation I had with uh, my psychiatrist, uh, one of my psychiatrists, some time ago, and he would he told me and I've always heard this that he could never really diagnose somebody until he got them off of their substance abuse, whatever they whatever substance they were abusing, and then after they would do that, they would they would take care they could take care of the problem. I never thought it through. I just always, I, I never thought it through that, oh, you take care of that problem and then it take that takes care of the other. I, I It's kind of funny. Anyway, interesting. All right. Interesting. We did cover a lot of ground here. I Thank you. I think that this really turned out pretty well. I just see this as just a you know a simple thing of we have some sort of an experience that, that gets us to this problem where, where we reflect it. Well, that concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support our site and podcast, there are a couple of ways you can help out. You can post a review on iTunes, hopefully a favorable one. You can help us out financially with either a recurring or one-time contribution. You can do this by setting up a small recurring contribution at our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief, or through PayPal at paypal.me slash AA Beyond Belief. And you can always just visit our site, aabeyondbelief.org, and click on the donate button. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of AA Beyond Belief.